Hey everyone, welcome back to the All Things Gymnastics Podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we are thrilled to bring you our conversation with Lisa Mitzel, who was a gymnast at Utah back in the 80s. She's a six-time All-American, the 1985 NCAA floor champion, and is one of the few gymnasts who has left her college career with four NCAA team titles. So we talk a little bit about that, the pressure that came along with being on such a successful team, as well as the work that she's doing today as a speaker, author, and mental coach to help current athletes overcome their fears and struggles within the sport. We also just wanted to provide a quick trigger warning about roughly 25 minutes into this conversation, we talk briefly about eating disorders and the pressure the athletes face to be thin. So if that's something that you want to skip around, you can go to around the 30 minute mark and that'll get you past that part of the conversation completely. All right, now let's get into it. Please welcome to the show, Lisa Mitzel. I love the poster behind you. What year is that from? Oh, that's 1985. Nice. Yeah. Was that your junior year? That was my uh-huh. junior year. It's very symbolic of uh, sort of the inside of us, the playfulness that Greg would give us. Uh, I can talk about it more later, but he helped to shape that character within us uh, of being tough. And it actually was going off of a milk commercial or an ad at the time, something about got milk or something. I don't know. It was one of those. And uh, there was a bunch of kids really tough, you know, and it was a black and white photo. And yeah. (laughs) That looks like a pretty small team. Was that the whole team? Yes. Oh, that's a big team. My freshman year, there were only seven of us on the competition floor at Nationals. Wow. Yeah, because of uh, people graduating, of course, and then a couple people retiring early. And then uh, Sue Stednitz, who was the reigning national all-around and beam champion from 1983, she blew out her knee at regionals just two weeks before we were going to nationals. And (laughs) we were were scraping ourselves together, uh, hoping. And then somebody... Uh, it's a whole story because then just before warmups, we were coming into the training room and Linda Cardos comes in limping. She goes, I don't know. I hurt myself. I rolled my ankle. Oh no. And we're like going, oh my gosh. And a whole bunch of us are getting taped up. Elaine was scheduled for surgery after nationals. So it was I with my knee. So we felt like we were just falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy that uh, the story of being in the Huntsman Center in the North Tunnel, waiting to march out, TV cameras and everything. And we're just like, this is it. And then somebody comes down the hall saying, Utah, Utah, where's the Utah team? And uh, we're like, that's us. And they had a card. And we're like, okay. And uh, so Megan and Linda were the team team captains and they opened it up. On the front of the card, all these sparkles, congratulations. And we're like, what? And we opened it up and our sports psychologist, Dr. Henschen, the magical man, he wrote, you won. You are the 1983 national champions. Now go out there and do it again. And we all started jumping up and screaming and laughing and thinking, oh my gosh, the vision, he, he knows it. Like it's going to happen. <laughs> Speaking it into existence. Yeah. And then we won. That's a crumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time to chat with us. We're really looking forward to this. We went back and we were watching, what year was it? 1980, I think it was your freshman, freshman year. year. Yeah. It's just so crazy how much has changed since then. And I'm sure you feel that too, watching gymnastics nowadays. There are some similarities, of course, but but it's it's a very different, very different world now. Yeah. yeah. Saw the striped leotards, the candy oh, cane. Yeah. Yes. Black. Very interesting. So did you like the leotards? Like the ones with all the stripes on them? Like, were you vibing with that? Or did you kind of like low-key hate it? Did you think it was ugly? Well, it certainly wasn't flattering, if that's what you mean. Um, Elaine, I mean, he he actually got shorts to go with it. So we were like from, and so most of us didn't wear the shorts. Uh, I remember Elaine, she definitely had an opinion about, but, uh, but no, it's, it was, it was fun. It was the whole idea was to get attention. And Greg was great at that. Obviously the master, right? Yeah. <laughs> he thought it was magic, you know, Ooh, look at us. We're weird. <laughs> you know? Well, like you said, it, it gets people paying attention to you. It gets people talking about you. It, it worked. And psychologically, that makes you feel different. It makes you feel whether you want to say special or standing out or you've got something that people want. I, it's just, it's something that's in the air, right? <laughs> so we thought it would be fun to have you start by taking us way back to when you first started gymnastics. And how did you get the gymnastics bug? How did you get into gymnastics? You know, I wish I had some incredible story like uh, Nadi Komanich and I was chosen, you know, out of many kids and that wasn't it. And there wasn't a magic fairy that came to my room at night and said, you will be a gymnast, right? It was, I was a hyper kid and, <laughs> and I had many siblings. I come from a big family and um, my mom, I was flipping on the furniture and climbing fences and, you know, speed of light. And then I also saw the 1972 Olympics and the darling Olga Corbett. And uh, yeah, I just, I was in it. I was in the TV screen. I was there in Munich <laughs> and I wanted to do it. So they, they really just didn't want me to ruin the house, I think. <laughs> That's a very common story that we hear with gymnasts just bouncing around off the furniture and the parents being like, we got to put this kid in gymnastics or something because they have too much energy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Very common. And so you were an elite gymnast too, right? Yes, I was. Can you yes. give us a little bit of your elite background? Like how many years did you elite gymnastics? Did you enjoy that experience? So I was training for elite in 1979. And uh, then I had an accident and I'll go more into this later. But that set me back because uh, in 1978, I was right around the top 10 in the country and on uh, what was then like level 10 uh, was class one. And so I was ready. I was ready to go up to elite and I was training all the big skills. But anyway, I took a third year. It was class one and I was junior Olympic all around and beam champion. And then I went on to elite. So I did that. And uh, I guess, you know, psychologically, it's very intimidating when all of a sudden you've got Kathy Johnson next to you. And she's standing there like a Russian gymnast. And I've joked with her about this, <laughs> you know, standing there in this huge arena for a classic uh, meet. And, you know, you've got Julianne McNamara and all these Olympians, right? And uh, I would compete against them sometimes here and there at invitationals. 
but the elite world was very intimidating. So um, I was still trying to get consistent on some of my big skills. And it was a little bit like praying, you know, dear God, help me make my double back. And instead of, oh, I've got this, I've made it 10 times this week. Um, it wasn't like that. So I wasn't as prepared physically and, and psychologically. I was a little intimidated. So I just missed making the national team. I competed in all the classics. Uh, I was in championships of the USA, but then I fell and I'm not a faller. Um, I, I'm pretty consistent. So it was just the nerves, but it was a great experience to you know, be on that level. And I still got a lot of friends who are on the national team. So I was right there with them. I just had a bad meet. <laughs> so you ended up going to Utah where you became a five-time NCAA champion. But I'm curious about what the recruiting process was like for you back then and how maybe it's similar or different to what the process is like for athletes today. Because it used to be really, really crazy where athletes can talk to coaches and commit when they were super, super young, like in middle school. And now that's changed to where it's a lot later on and athletes can't talk to coaches until they're in 11th grade. But I'm curious what the process was like back then for you and kind of why you ended up choosing Utah. Yeah, um, so I was thinking about this and I was thinking how uh, we, of course we didn't have the internet back then. So you're not posting anything right? You're not posting, you know, all my latest tricks. You're not getting any love from if you went to a college camp, you know, and you got to know some of the college teammate, uh, team members. Uh, so I didn't have any connection except for I had had some older teammates that graduated ahead of me and they were at um, San Diego State, UCLA, USC, Cal State Fullerton. Um, I knew some girls at some different teams. But yeah, no social media. Uh, so you were really out of touch. And it was brand new, I think, uh, the whole recruiting thing. I was, um, my senior year of high school was 81, 82. And so I didn't know who was watching me. <laughs> the class one nationals when I won uh, at all the elite meets, I had did write five letters. And I was trying to think, who were the five schools I wrote to? Because my mom and dad said, well, you know, we need to write some letters of interest. And so I wrote to UCLA because one of my old coaches was the head coach there, Jerry Tomlinson, and his son is Corey Tomlinson. Hey, Corey, if you're listening. And then my teammate, Sharon Shapiro, had gone there uh, and she was uh, broke every record as in, uh, in the country as winning every event in the all around. And then I wrote to USC because my dad went there. And at the time they had a program and I did have a teammate, a couple teammates that were on the USC team. And I wrote to Arizona State because I knew John Spini, <laughs> and uh, who's Lisa Spini's husband. Hi, Lisa. Anybody who's listening, I'm saying hi to people because I just, I love our community. I love everybody. And then I wrote to Utah. And I, but there was a fifth one, and I can't remember who it was. A lot of it's based off kind of like word of mouth almost, or just connections, who you know. Yeah, like I didn't have strong connections. Uh, I, like I went to Cal State Fullerton meets. That that was right around the corner, and they ended up being the 1979 national champions. And I knew I knew Lynn Rogers a little bit, uh, and that's in another story about when I had a setback. He was somebody that also helped me uh, with a sports psychologist. So I would see teams from 
you know, the East Coast. I knew who Ernie Ernestine Weaver was with Florida. And, you know, I knew some other people, but and Penn State was really big back then. So I knew some people there. But I it is, it's community and who you feel comfortable with. Yeah. How old were you when you started writing those letters? You know, my you're gonna laugh. I think my guess is I was it was either summer before my senior year of high school or the fall. I don't I don't even think it was before that. I don't even remember being recruited in junior year. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I ended up going on one recruiting trip. What's that? I said it's better that way. It's better that way. When you're yes. older, that way you have yeah, more and- of what we want to do. Yeah. I know I was coaching a girl, she's 11 years old and she got a letter from a college and, you know, cause she was, went through the tops and the hopes. And I was just like, yeah, she's 11. There shouldn't be anything. <laughs> um, so I, my parents, I'm one of seven kids. There's uh, Sheila, Jimmy, Lisa, Patrick, Julie, Mikey, Brian. And uh, so Jim and Lori didn't have big jobs or a lot of money. So my parents said, you can pick one school to go on a recruiting trip that we'll pay for because back then they didn't pay for their trips. <laughs> In fact, I think my year was the last year that that did, they didn't pay for because my freshman year then it was, uh, well, 82, 83 was NCAA, right? Because before that it was AIAW. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I picked Utah because, and this is a great story. I went to Cal State Fullerton to watch a college meet and Utah was there. Okay. Now I didn't see Greg. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know. I didn't know who their coach was, but I saw the team and Shannon Coleman, who was a former national team member. She was on my club team Kips and she comes out and Krista Canary was a national team member and she comes out and Linda Carter and all these gymnasts that I had seen in either international gymnast magazine. Hello, Paul Zert. (laughs) or 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 I just uh I knew of them and they these were great gymnasts they came out with sunglasses on the competition floor they were playing rock and roll music they had headbands on you know talk about the 80s right okay (laughs) you know sort of like um Jane Fonda and um dance and that kind of thing right so and they were partying on the floor during the whole warm-up and they even looked super focused yet happy during competition now we all know what elite gymnastics is like right Mm -hmm. this is a huge contrast just as it is today as we see today but even more so they looked so playful and i was like wow and they won (laughs) they won the meet so I was like, that is really cool. So that stuck with me. And that was, I think that was my, that might've been my sophomore year of high school when I saw that meet or for, or junior year, sophomore, junior year. So that stuck with me and I was very interested in you. Oh, and when I was being recruited that year, they were, they had been the national champions in 1981. Mm-hmm. So that was my senior year. And then right after I signed the letter of intent, in the spring, uh, it, were, it co- coincided with, I think, within a week of nationals or something like that. And then they won the second championship. So when I arrived, they were back-to-back national champions. No pressure. <laughs> right. 
So you're actually really rare in the sense that you have four national titles with your team. And a lot of gymnasts, they leave college and they don't even get one. So what do you think was the key to the team's success for you guys to win back to back to back to back? You know, I thought about this and it's, you know, you're, you're asking a very good question. What, what was the key? And I don't think there was just one, but if I could, because I want to say a lot here, if I could say one, it probably would be the psychology side, the sports psychology and Greg was just as much part of that in how he structured the training, the discipline, and how he talked to us in terms of, you know, he believed in us. He was going to make us, you know, and we were going to get in the best shape, right? We were going to be the most polished, uh, you know, every clean routine was going to be just, you know, perfection as best as we could. And, um, and he had very open conversations, team talks, a lot, everything was honesty. So if you were struggling and he saw the whole team was kind of down and this happened on my recruiting trip, uh, they were going to compete the next day and they had a short practice in the Huntsman Center. Back then it was called the Special Event Center. And the girls got on the equipment and within 15, 20 minutes, he goes, everybody stop, everybody stop, get off the equipment. And they went outside. It was a sunny day. And there we just sat down on the ground. And I'm a recruit. And I got to sit there on the edge of this team meeting. And he said, All right, what's going on? And everybody's quiet, of course. And he said, Listen, I know that, you know, people are going to be graduating soon. Some people are leaving the team early. Uh, Andrew Turner and Krista Canary were both sophomores that year, or I think Andrew was a junior, and they were going to be leaving the team early, uh, retiring early. And so anyway, he just said, I know there's things on your mind. Let's get it out. I had never, ever experienced a coach doing anything like that before. And that's Greg Marsden. He really did want to get into the root feelings. What's going on? And it's a very vulnerable place to be. You don't want to say anything, right? And uh, so we, I experienced that a lot. And I think that that was really, that brought us together. That really made us more like a family that trusted each other and that felt together. And yet Dr. Henschen, he was the magic who wrote the card that I talked about. And uh, congratulations, you won. And uh, he was this tall, lanky, former basketball player. And he was kind of like, you know, strolled in the gym. Hey, girls, what's going on? He made everything easy. He made you think and feel like, okay, it's not as hard as I thought it was, <laughs> right? So those would be the two, you know, people. But, you know, my teammates, Megan, Linda, Elaine, Celeste, I mean, I can name all of them. Uh, they were just my heroes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were so determined, uh, so focused. And I mean, Megan, she was just a huge role model for all of us. She did the extra. She went out and ran. She was in aerobics class. She was focused on her academics. She was positive and focused in the gym. So when you have people around you like that, 
you can't help but be influenced and want to be like them. Those, I mean, that's, I wrote down the championship mindset. You know, Greg really believed that, you know, we would win. And yet he'd had this trick. There was a competition against Arizona State and they were our nemesis, right? They were, it was neck and neck and they were coming to Utah and he gathered us around the day before and he goes, girls, they're really good. I don't know if we can beat them. You know, we may not, we may not win. And because he had been so determined before and everything was, you know, he'd come in and vacuum the floor and make sure there were perfect lines before we trained. On it. I mean, everything had to be just so our bodies, the gym, our weight, you know, everything. Right. And yet he's now having a moment of doubt and we're going, wait, what? no, we're going to do this. We're going to win. Like, and I think it was a reverse psychology. I think it was like a, a little trick that he did. And of course that got us motivated. So the psychology part, the integrity, uh, you know, opening up, I think all of that really did add to our ability to come together. Um, he would say things like, uh, we're only as strong as the weakest link on our team. And so you never wanted to be the weakest. You always wanted to be strong. Mm -hmm. And you really did create that family feeling that we're here to fight for each other and we're going to struggle together and we're going to rise up and triumph together. Okay. The reverse psychology thing is super, super interesting to me. When you were saying that, I was thinking back on Oklahoma last season. So the 2022 season, there was a blogger who posted something in one of their previews about how like, if there was any year that Oklahoma was beatable, it was going to be this season because of who they lost the year prior. And I remember after they won in the press conference, KJ Kindler said something about how they like printed that out and kept it in the locker room as motivation every day when they walked in. And I just think that's super, super interesting how that works and how that can be used as motivation. I feel like some people would read something like that and get kind of down on themselves. So I think it's the teams that are able to almost twist that and use it to their advantage are the teams that end up coming out on top. Utah back in the day, Georgia had a dominance era, Oklahoma now is the team that's kind of starting to create this dynasty. So I just think that's super, super interesting. Yeah, hats off to KJ Kindler. And I think that, you know, you have to know the personality of your team not, you know, you have to know the personality, the strengths, the sensitive parts of each athlete, right? You want to treat each athlete the way that they need, right? Not the way that I want as a coach, but the way that they need so that you are meeting them where they're at. And then you have to know the energy and the personality of the team. And one thing that, uh, and Greg, Greg Mars and I love you. Uh, he's going to maybe smile that I said this, but he knew us. He knew us and he would gather us. I, I don't remember how many times, but there was a number of times at the beginning of a home meet competition. And we would be, we'd start on vault and he'd bring us all in a circle and he'd look us all in the eye. And I remember the first time he did this, I was just like, what? <laughs> he goes, girls, are you ready? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, all right, because we're going to rip off their heads and puke down their throats. And we were like, 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who would say that? You know, but that was his quirky, humorous side that he and he knew that we would, you know, we would feed off of that. And but it was playful. It was never mean or, you know, spirited or anything like that. He would talk to coaches like John Spini on the phone uh, while we're in practice and they'd be laughing. And we always knew it was community, community, community. So uh, so that was really funny. (laughs) So how did you manage the pressure of being on a winning team? Because like Ashley mentioned earlier, not only is it hard to get to the top, but I think it's even harder to stay there. Did you feel that pressure year after year being on the team that was the top team? That's a really good question because I think whether you're at the top or whether you're climbing to the top, whether you're in college or whether you're 10 years old, whenever there's pressure around you, let's say expectations, right? People talking. If I'm a 10 year old and my mom and dad are talking about me and my skills and did I make my skills today and oh, they need to talk to the coach and what's going wrong, that feels like pressure right? And so in college, uh, being national champions, the pressure was is that we represented the university. But the other side of that, and Greg was so good at making this easy to understand and to take it on together, that that was a privilege and it was an honor. And when you feel that way, then that takes the pressure off because now I'm feeling a connection with Greg and the team in a different way, right? We get to do this. We get to go and be role models for little kids and sign autographs and be in the community in a positive way. So I think Greg did just a phenomenal job of teaching us that, uh, that to respect this position of being a student athlete for the University of Utah And, uh, you know, everything he did was with the highest integrity. And so that was inspiring to me. And so in that regard, it took the pressure off. The other part of pressure is trying to look like, even though I'm a mature college student, you know, the top athletes in the world have little bodies. And so I know, and I've talked with so many, you know, athletes, gymnasts (laughs) about this, uh, especially former teammates and, and some of my friends and opponents that I competed with is the body image issue. And so when you are supposed to be the national champions or you're in line to, or you're in that group of possibly winning, you have to look like champions. You have to be in that kind of shape. And so uh, I know that some of my teammates uh, had eating issues. I did for a period of time. Uh, it's, it is the scariest thing to feel like you're not good enough. And it's the scariest thing when you're walking into a gym that is a national championship gym and your coach has high expectations because, you know, that's what gets you to that championship mindset that we're going to get, on, I'm going to get on the scale and I'm going to be heavy. And back then we did have weigh-ins and that was, you know, that was the science. Uh, We had um, underwater weigh-ins and all kinds of measurements, uh, you know, whether it was, you know, measuring your percentage of body of fat, getting your urine tested, um, blood tested, um, all kinds of monitor and measuring. Uh, We even, when Dr. Bill Sands came and coached uh, with Greg and our staff, 
uh, we would go in and fill out this information on a computer, <laughs> which was brand new in that day, right? Um, of before practice and even after practice, and you answered a few questions. So you were constantly being monitored. And I know that that pressure did get to me and, and I did end up having some uh, really bad eating habits, body image issues. I'm five, seven and a half, okay? <laughs> so I'm King Kong, I'm a giant in gymnastics and my teammates you know, were like peanut size. I did have one or two teammates that were tall like myself. But in general, I lined up and I looked at, we were in front of a mirror, <laughs> we're in our leotards and I looked at my thighs next to the other girl's thighs. So that's a common universal issue in gymnastics, I think is trying to have that perfect little prepubescent body and a, a slender body. Um, nowadays, I am thrilled that we have, you know, all kinds of body positive messages and what, you know, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your body shape, your size, your height, uh, that everybody is beautiful and can do gymnastics. So, and adult gymnastics with Chelsea Memel and all kinds of things. But back then that was a lot of pressure and, um, we saw each other's weight. So, and we even saw each other's percentage of body fat. And so somebody was like 5% body fat. Somebody else was 16% body fat. And of course, you know, you want to be down in the low end. And so I had, you know, I did some unhealthy things. I threw up, I binged, I purged and things like that for a little while. And that just felt painful physically, mentally, psychologically. Um, and so I have a heart for all these kids today, these teenagers and college gymnasts who don't feel good enough, they feel like they need to be thinner. You want to always go and approach it in the healthiest way, okay? Let's feel good first. And let's see how we can feel good getting more endurance, right? Building some muscle. How does your gymnastics feel? Let's go that direction and make sure that your spirit is right there with you instead of feeling that vacancy like oh god i'm lost i'm alone i'm not good enough so there, the pressure goes both ways right it's it's a it's a privilege and yet how do we deal with all these other aspects of it do you feel like being able to see your other teammates weights was something that was done almost by design knowing that athletes are super competitive and knowing that you're going to look on that list see other people's weights and think I'm either above that or what do I need to do to get to this certain number because I feel like that information should be private like if they but, were waking you but like used to back in the day I've seen competitions where they the commentators would literally say it like here's so-and-so and she weighs however many pounds and it was so normal just to like expose people's weight and just like throw it up. nowadays there. I couldn't imagine them doing that it just goes to show like, <laughs> how, much, how much we've evolved since then but I guess I was just curious do you feel like that's something that maybe back then not only was it more normalized but it, maybe it was done kind of by design as a way to in some way motivate the athletes to reach a certain level physically well, it, I can only speak from my experience at Utah and what I know about Greg's personality and the support staff. I mean, everybody around us, our strength and conditioning coach, our sports psychologist, our sports nutritionist, um, our trainers, our doctors, 
I mean, Greg was really ahead of his time. And one of the things, like a lesson that I learned, I think this is one of your questions uh, that you asked earlier, is what did I take away from it or what did I learn? Is you surround yourself with amazing people in their area of expertise, right? Uh, their industry. And Greg was great at that. And I really, truly um, respected that. And I learned something from that. So I think that it was a team of people. I don't think it was just one person. I think it was a team of people saying, listen, you know, this is the science is when they have low percentage of body fat, you know, lean muscle, they're stronger in the weight room, they're eating healthy, they're, you know, when they're doing all these things, that's when they're going to be able to rise to the top and perform the best. So I think it was partly the science aspect. And then I do think there was probably some aspect of, okay, we're going to put this information right there in the cage. It was this locker room area where we went in all the time. It was before, during, and after practice. We had our little lockers. And yeah, that that is that is motivating. It can also, you know, create trigger, you know, fear and nervousness. I'm not good. He's going to get mad. I'm, you know, all kinds of things, but that's, that's all in your head. So that's where the open communication needs to be better. I think even today is we did talk about our feelings about I'm not doing as much of uh, this event because I'm injured. I'm worried because my family, uh, my, my grandmother is sick. My, you know, kind of like obvious things right, that are happening in somebody's life. But internally and emotionally, I think today even, we need to talk more about whether it's body image issues, fears of not being good enough, nervous that somebody's going to be upset or that standard or expectation is at a level that seems un, unre, you know, realistic. Those are very sensitive and difficult issues. And you know, kids and teenagers and even college age, it's really hard to articulate those types of issues. So I think you're right um, that it, it was probably in the sense of motivation in one way, but then you have to be able to talk about what feels difficult about it, right? Mm -hmm. What feels uncomfortable, because then you're taking the power away from it and you're opening up and supporting each other. So I guess with that being said, when you look back at your career, what do you feel like one of the biggest challenges that you faced, whether that was something that was during your elite career um, or throughout your time in college, what do you feel like one of your biggest challenges was um, and how did you kind of work through that? So I uh, alluded to the fact that I had a, um, a setback uh, before I went and trained when I was training elite and um, I had a crash in the gym. This happens. Wait, let's go back to the 2016 Olympics and uh, Simone had, or was it, no, sorry, 2021 Olympics and she had the twisties. Yes. So um, I had that to the nth degree. So I got lost in the air on a double back and thank goodness she landed on her feet on the Yurchenko one and a half, but I did not land on my feet. I crashed on the back of my head. My legs were up in the air and my knee slammed into my head and knocked me out. So it was, and it was on the hard floor, not a pit or anything like that. So uh, it was a bad crash. It was a confusing crash, scary crash. Um, and, and I had this huge lump on my head. So um, that triggered confusion, fear. And for the next month, I gradually lost about 70% of my skills. 
And so when you're at the top and you think you're training to, you know, be on the national team, and then all of a sudden in a month, you can't even do a round off back handspring, you're crying every day and your coaches are tossing their hands up in the air saying, what's wrong with you? You know, why can't you do it? So that was extremely difficult. And I was going to quit. I told my parents, I'm, I'm going to quit because I wasn't a gymnast. I couldn't do anything. And there was no answer. There was no help. And then because of our community, Lynn Rogers, who had previously coached at Kipps, he was at the time the head coach at Cal State Fullerton. And this was in the fall of 1979. And they had just won their first uh, national championship, women's gymnastics, uh, at Cal State Fullerton. And me not knowing, I knew that, but I did not know that also their baseball team won the national championships at Cal State Fullerton that year. And the commonality was Dr. Ken Revisa, and he was their sports psychologist. So the hardest thing was going through that, but I, it was the greatest gift because I learned the nuances and the science and the practice of the sports psychology and the mental training. And I learned the minutia of how to slow down and close my eyes and know, okay, when I start to, when I stand in the corner before I tumble, and then I start taking steps, that's when I start to freeze up, I start to get scared. And so noticing, when do you start to feel nervous? When do you start to feel afraid? That is the gift that keeps on giving because all of the training that I got, it's not just learning it in a book, right? But it's learning what it feels like and how to talk with the athletes about it. So that was the biggest struggle getting through that. I didn't know if I was going to be normal again. Uh, it took me, I trained with Dr. Revisa for, and Lynn Rogers came and helped. <laughs> so I do one hour with just uh, Ken. He was a hippie. He wore flip-flops and jeans. Um, <laughs> and he'd say, and he had a beard. He's like, hey, Lisa, how you doing? <laughs> I'd be like, this is not gymnastics, right? <laughs> this was not line up, be quiet and do what I tell you to do. So uh, he, I worked with him for an hour solely and I learned the tools and I journaled and practiced mental exercises. But then Lynn Rogers would come in the gym and this was at Cal State Fullerton. And how lucky was I? It was like a six minute drive from my house. And then he would get the spotting belt or he would spot me slow motion very gently on scales, like a back walkover or a front walkover. And then Ken would be sitting right there and helping me. Okay, what did you see? What did you feel? All right. And I'd get scared just doing simple skills. So I think fear is the craziest, undermining, awful thing as an athlete when you want to do a skill. And so, uh, you know, getting through that was uh, very difficult. So I tried to go elite, didn't make it because I wasn't ready. And then that's when I did a third year of level 10 or class one. Yeah. And then I was a two-time national champion that year. So uh, well, how long did it take for you to get your skills back? So this is uh, very unusual because most athletes that seek out some kind of sports psych or mental training assistance, Typically, they're working with that person once or twice a week for like an hour, okay? Usually once a week, sometimes two times a month, but usually once a week. So I worked with Ken 
two times a week, two hours a day. So I was at Cal State Fullerton doing sports psych work four hours a week for almost three months. So I accumulated over 40 hours of one-on-one work, you know, which is incredible. And when I was, when we stopped working together, I was not a hundred percent able to do everything easily, but I could do skills. And then I had to, like, I'd stand in the corner and I'd had to do my double fold and my mind would go blank. And this happened in a competition. (laughs) The music's playing, the judge is there. I la, 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 la. I stand in the corner and all of a sudden, it's gone. I don't know how to do this. And so then you use your mental skills and, and you go, and then I would land on my feet. And even in college, when I got to Utah, I remember, I think it was even my sophomore year also, uh, I would have a flash of like an amnesia or whatever you want to call it. It was temporary. And I wouldn't even know I can't do it. I, I don't know how to do it. And so by then I was just like, okay. So I'm not doing it today. And luckily that didn't happen on a competition day. (laughs) Just you learn to let it go. And then, and then it comes back easily the next day. Yeah. You kind of touched on this earlier, but what about biggest lesson that you learned from your time as a gymnast that you were able to take on for life after gymnastics? Yeah. I mean, I think sports in general is a mirror for life, right? Mm -hmm. The thing about gymnastics is that we go upside down, we peel off the bars, we get the twisties, we split the beam, you know? So, you know, you've got danger, danger. There's risk. You go to the gym. I work with so many kids that they're just nervous before they go to the gym. I used to have a stomach ache before I'd go to the gym. So, um, cause you don't want to crash. You don't want to get hurt. So, um, you know, I think the biggest lessons I learned was, and this is a lot from my parents through sports, through gymnastics, is anything is possible. If you work hard and you can imagine what you want to do, it becomes possible. You can do it, right? And that was kind of what Greg taught us was the championship mindset. We're going to win, right? That, that this is what we're doing. So you manifest it. You create it. And, and also I'm just ridiculously positive. (laughs) The kid, the kids love me. The parents love me. Um, you know, I, I think my support for coaches these days, uh, I absolutely believe that every coach wants to do well for their gymnasts. And it's just a matter of, okay, so what can we let go of to undo, you know, the stuff that is not as healthy. But yeah, the positivity, um, I'm extremely self-motivated and hardworking and, uh, and community. We need each other, you know, and I could not accomplish anything that I have accomplished. I couldn't have done any of that alone. And even today, I I'm surround myself with really beautiful people that uh, have like values. So um, I think those are the lessons. So after you wrapped up your gymnastics career, you got into coaching. You actually were the head coach at Stanford. You spent six years there. How did you get into coaching and how did you end up at Stanford? So I was actually the assistant coach for four years and the head coach for two years. So this goes back to after, let me see, I was doing choreography because I actually was a professional dancer for a couple of years in LA after gymnastics. I was a national floor champion. I choreographed my own floor routine. So I, I just, from the time I was a little kid, I watched Soul Train and, you know, American Bandstand and I did all the dances. I learned really fast. 
So I went into dancing and I got hired by some universities. Uh, I was at, in Illinois. I was, you know, schools in California, Santa Barbara. I was at Utah. I did choreography and LSU. So hello, DD bro. Uh, <laughs> DD brought me out and I choreographed, I think, six or seven floor routines. And then she also asked me, she goes, Lisa Mitzel, you won four national championships. You know how to win. Could you tell us what do we need to do? Now, of course, my accent's not that good. <laughs> she was great. I love Dee Dee Bro. And uh, I was like, you're asking me to consult you coaches? Like, and I had never thought of myself in that regard. Like, oh, yeah, I know. I know how to win. <laughs> I never thought about that. So she started to plant that seed in my mind that I had knowledge. And then uh, months later, when they were qualified to nationals, she called me up. She goes, Lisa Metzel. She goes, we have gone, we are going to national championships. Would you like to be the volunteer coach on the floor with us and our, our team? And I was like, yes. <laughs> wow. Yes. So uh, I went to nationals that year and uh, I was on the floor with them. And then there was a buzz. And you guys know mm -hmm. at nationals, that's when there's there's talk of who's leaving what school and who. Oh, what yeah. Yeah. What jobs are open? Yeah. What jobs are open right now? <laughs> are, any, are any open right now? I know Greg has a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure Greg Marson has a spreadsheet. It was open. That one recently got filled. Iowa State is Ashley Miles Grieg. They just announced that yesterday. Um, hold on, let me pull up. Yeah, go to Greg's Twitter. Are you on Twitter at all? Yeah, almost never. Okay. <laughs> I, I go on. Greg Twitter. is very active on Twitter. Oh, I know. Okay. No, I've been on there. I should probably follow a little bit more. Okay, so Sacramento State has um, all of their coaching positions open. Iowa right. State is still looking for assistance. Talladega College, which is HBCU. Uh, yes. The uh, State are looking for assistant coaches. So, yeah, not, not, I feel like in years past, we've seen a longer list of openings, but I know also for the transfer portal, <laughs> seeing athletes switching around, it's been already yeah. a pretty exciting offseason. Yeah. So that was the case back then. And she came up to me and she go, and I hadn't really heard much at all because I was just coming in for the competition and everybody else obviously had been talking a lot at meetings and whatnot. And she goes, uh, Lisa, the Stanford assistant coaching job is open. You could get that job. Now, Didi bro, you are one of my angels because I never thought about that. <laughs> And so all of a sudden she goes, you should talk to Breck. Now I knew Breck a little bit because he had been the assistant coach at Stanford under Lynn Rogers. And so I knew Breck a little bit. He knew me a little bit. And, uh, and so I hunted him down <laughs> and we had an initial conversation. And, and of course I went up and interviewed and I think everybody in their dog and hamster had applied for that job. It was a very popular opening at the time. So I was very lucky to get that assistant coaching job. So I learned a lot. Uh, you are in a place at Stanford University. Hats off to Tabitha Yim and, you know, all the coaches there. And the men's team that just won nationals, way to go, Stanford men. I love Stanford. It's part of my family, um, being there for six years. And at the time, my husband, he was also coaching there. My kids were kind of raised on the farm a little bit. 
Um, so I love Stanford University. You're surrounded by genius, you know, cutting edge, innovation. Um, I actually, as assistant coach, got to speak to the athletic board on uh, what it was, what I was learning at Stanford University as a coach. And I went and interviewed the tennis coach, uh, the swim coach, uh, a football coach, and I did a whole presentation on the values and the integrity and what I was learning in terms of relating to the athletes, motivating and teaching the athletes and learning from them. And then that was a real cool experience. And I got to speak on a board of ethics for sports uh, at Stanford University. So I got a lot of different experiences. Uh, and then as the head coach, I think both as assistant coach and head coach, I brought in that championship mindset from Utah. And uh, when I arrived at Stanford in 1991, the team had never gotten to the national championships as a team. Okay. They had some individuals that went. And so I brought in this mindset and I had certain ways of motivating and telling stories and my expectations and what we were going to do. And anyway, but of course I asked them, what do you want? What do you got? What is your desire? And you coaches and parents always ask, what do you want? Because that's the key. That is the key right there. And they wanted it. They wanted it really badly. They, they said, we want to be the first team to go to nationals. And so we did. And we made it. And uh, so we broke, I broke a lot of records there as a coach, um, broke a lot of barriers and got them to ninth in the country, which was the highest uh, they had ever placed. That was when I was a head coach. Uh, we were in the top 10. So it was pretty incredible. Cool. <laughs> well, you were coached by, we've already talked about Greg Marsden, a pioneer for women's college gymnastics, really did a lot to get recognition for the sport. Did you, were you able to pick his brain at all? And did you get any tips when you were in your coaching career from him? Oh, wow. So Greg actually kind of from a distance kind of brought me under his wing and he would check in with me every now and then. And he'd call me and he'd just, you know, I'd be in my office at Stanford. He goes, how's it going, Lisa? Are they treating you okay? <laughs> um, so I don't know if he gave me a lot of tips. I think more or less we, we were suddenly colleagues or so, you know, kind of in the same industry. And I think he had a lot of pride for that when, when I took the team, my team to nationals and there I am next to Utah and I'm the head coach, you know, that was, I think that was pretty amazing to feel that I'm passing on what he taught me. And of course, all my teammates, what they taught me. I, I think that it was just, uh, I think, a source of pride and connection that you don't often get to feel. So mm -hmm. he was, he, but he was always there for me. He, he always said, how are you? You know, what's going on? And yeah, he was a big support. So now you're kind of involved in like the mental coaching side of this. How did you get interested in that? Well, it started through writing. So uh, I went back to school when I was a single mom. Um, I became a single mom in 2003 when my kids were two, five and eight years old. And uh, it was an extremely unhealthy marriage. And I think that maybe other female athletes may relate to this is that when you when you're under pressure a lot and you have the personality to thrive under pressure 
to try and you feel like you're not good enough, well, let me try harder. Let me work more at this, right? <laughs> if you're listening and you experience this, raise your hand right now. <laughs> yeah. And so I chose somebody that who I feel, who I felt with whom I felt I was not good enough and I had to work and get better and better. And so it was a very unhealthy marriage. Um, he had high expectations and very demanding and so I was a single mom and I was thinking, now what am I going to do to, uh, you know, for income and, you know, career and because I, I was already out of coaching. I had left uh, Stanford in um, 1997. And uh, so this was a few years later, it was about five or six years later. And uh, <laughs> I decided I want to, I want to write. Now, who knows what kind of money you can make writing, right? <laughs> but I, um, I decided my kids really loved books and I started studying uh, that. And then I went back to school and I got a master's in writing. And uh, so uh, when I was doing that, I also started teaching writing because with an MFA, you can be a college professor. And, but I was doing out of my house uh, you know, while my I was raising my kids, and uh, one of my students was a psychologist, and she came to me one day and she said, "Lisa, I was at this conference for psychologists, and I was approached by these uh, editors in Australia, and they want me to write a chapter for their sports psychology book. Can I interview you?" And I was like, "Sure." So while she and I talked, and she interviewed me, and we had this conversation. I started talking about a lot of the details of what I learned through Dr. Ken Revisa, Dr. Keith Henschen at Utah, and everything that I went through. And it was almost like, like I was a fairy. <laughs> and, and I floated up above, and I'm looking down at the two of us, and I was like, Lisa, you know a lot about this stuff. And so it's like the thing that's missing for a lot of people is what am I good at? What am I meant to do? What's my purpose? And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, I really know about this stuff. And then she goes, would you co-author this chapter with me? <laughs> so I already had my master's in writing. I'm a good writer. I know a lot about this. And I was like, yes. So she had to check with the editors, and then they approved it. So after that, I started working on, I already had been working on a book. And which turned out to be focused and on fire, uh, The Athlete's Guide to Mental Training Kicking Butt. Uh, and that's done really well. That came out in 2017. And um, anyway, I, I wrote that. I was writing that for about five years on and off. And so I was scribbling notes and a friend of mine. Oh, and then I got asked to do a TED talk because I wrote a blog about my imaginary TED talk. Okay, somebody said, I got to ask you about the TED Talk and how that came to be because I love TED Talks. So when I was looking you up, I was like, she's done a TED Talk. That is so iconic. I know. It's funny. So it was a friend's daughter who was at a charter school and they were hosting a TEDx event at her school. And she read or somebody told her something that I wrote about doing a TED Talk. So she called me and she said, Lisa, and she knew me. She goes, will you do a, a, a TED talk at our school? And I was like, yeah. And it was so funny because just like a few months before I was talking to her mom and her mom said, and you're going to do a TED talk. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so it's like Dee Dee Bro saying, Lisa Mitzel, you can get that job. You know, these things just kind of fall, fell in my lap. 
Yeah, yeah you just need someone to plant the seed. Amen. Let's all go plant seeds. Yeah. <laughs> for, for ourselves and each other. It's fun. So yeah, so all of this just was sort of like the, the river going into the ocean, you know, uh, all these little moments. And, um, and then somebody called me and said, Lisa, are you working with athletes? Uh, you know, with the mental training. And I said, yes, I am. And the only reason I said yes in that moment is because I'd been planning it and I ordered my business cards. <laughs> but I'm, I'm foregoing, or excuse me, I'm passing by all the other studying and experiences that I had had up to that point. Uh, I'd been in a, in a preschool with positive parenting for six years. Uh, in child development. I had done a mindfulness course. Uh, I had been studying positive psychology. I had attended certain types of, you know, conventions and events, conferences in this area. Um, and I did a lot of self-study and my undergrad degrees in psychology. My mother's a retired therapist. There's just a lot of things that kind of led me up to this ability as well as the sensitivity that it takes. Um, so those were some of the major points. And, um, and when I started doing it, I didn't know what it would turn into. I didn't know it would be a full-time career my whole life. I just thought I'm, I know a lot about this. I think I'm qualified to do this. And I started having wonderful results, wonderful results. So it, it was really amazing. The whole psychology aspect, child development, you know, all of these things are so important and I'm continually learning. Um, so one thing led to another and writing the book and publishing it and coaching in the gym. I coached at many clubs plus Stanford University. And so I'm very experienced in that area. Um, you know, knowing how to, the coaches side of things, the pressure of the coaches, having a billion things to do, dealing with parents, dealing with the kids, not being able to do skills, kids bullying and picking on each other. You know, I have done all of it. And I think that I, I think I was chosen by the universe. <laughs> yeah. So do you work now with more than just gymnasts or like how many athletes are you working with? Uh, right now I have a little bit of a light schedule, but I've worked with, if you look at focused and on fire and, and even my second book focused and inspired how to keep athletes safe in a win at all costs world. Uh, I've worked with all kinds of athletes in like, I don't know, 15, 20 different sports, but most of my work is in gymnastics. Uh, right now I have a rhythmic gymnast that I'm working with. Uh, I recently worked with a soccer player. But like I said, every day I'm pretty much working with gymnasts, uh, artistic gymnasts. And, um, and so I, this spring and summer, I'm doing some clinics and events. I'm going to be speaking at National Congress. Uh, I think I may even have a booth there, uh, getting all the details. But I'm super excited to be in this, still being in the sport of gymnastics. I'm so, so lucky. And you too, Ashley and Brittany, you know, you guys are the voices that bring all of this to life for all the people who can't be at all the meets and get all the inside juicy details and everything. Um, yeah, you make it fun. You make it, you know, you bring out the inspiration in the sport as well as, you know, what we don't like in this sport. And oh <laughs> the yeah, controversy. we talk about that. <laughs> I know, you guys are funny. I love listening to you. Um, so yeah, much. we all have, 
we all have our favorites and we all have, you know, the, the things that annoy us and bother us. So uh, it's all very human, right? It's very yes. human. Yeah. <laughs> so through the work that you've done, what's some of the, or like the most common struggle that you see athletes facing these days? Thank you for asking that. Um, you know, the human experience, like I was talking about before, when you feel like you're not good enough, when you're afraid, those are very common human struggles, right? And especially for young athletes, young gymnasts, you know, in the sport of gymnastics, kids are getting their hands ripped, they're tweaking their ankles, their wrists, they're comparing themselves because probably coaches are also comparing, right? Uh, they're having to report to their parents what they're doing or not doing. And so one of, one of my biggest pieces of advice to parents is, <laughs> and, and in the car, so parents, I love you out there. So, but my best advice is in the car ride, don't talk about gymnastics. If they want to talk about it, then be a good listener, be a good cheerleader, you know? But the car is a sanctuary, okay? Let me just say that again. <laughs> the car ride home is a sanctuary. That's because they need to decompress, mm -hmm. right? But I would say probably the biggest struggle is because our coach community, our coaching community, and I love you coaches, I love, I'm a coach, that all of us together are learning to evolve. And so we have this history of many decades, many, many decades, uh, that sport came from the military. That's just a fact, mm -hmm. okay? Line up, stand up tall, be quiet, do this, work hard, work harder, not doing it enough, right? Sports came from the military. And so when we are still coming out of the Caroli era, right? We're still coming out of that. And we've got people who worked with the Carolis that are still on the sport here in the States, right? It's just difficult to continue this transition and, and not blame or have mean thoughts towards somebody. So what I believe is that we're all here together to keep learning and evolving. And one of the hardest things still today is that certain coaches and coach personalities are pushing the kids too hard. Mm -hmm. and, and that doesn't mean that they're not still changing or learning. That means that it's just still an issue. So, um, so kids and parents are intimidated by the coaches and and uh, it's, it's maybe not their intention at all. You know, maybe it's not their intention at all, but that makes it very difficult. Um, and, and I would say that the root problem is our whole organization, whether it's USA Gymnastics, and I love that National Gymnastics Association popped up. Okay, so NGA, good job, love you guys. And I know clubs here in California that are thrilled with NGA because they have some different values. I hear that the meets, when you go to USAG meet, that a lot of it is pretty serious. But what I hear from the NGA people who've been in USA Gymnastics is that, hey, we're all about fun. We're all about the kids, you know, and making it feel safe and good. So that is a new approach. So when you ask me, what are the struggles, right, that I see is that we're still a little too serious as we're developing children. We're developing children. And so it needs to be a balance. And I think that one of the biggest things we can do is integrate mental training and mental health, mental fitness. 
I think that's one of the greatest things that any gym can do. And there's, I'm glad to be a part of that. I also have um, a colleague, Yuka Segura, who is doing neuroathletics and neuro exercises. We're partnering together. We're going to be doing clinics. And her approach is an alternative way to stimulate the body through uh, neuroscience and to be able to help the kids so they have more tools, so they feel more in control, right? Kids are powerless, powerless. So sorry, I'm going off on a little bit of a rant. Put me up on the soapbox, sorry. Uh, I'm a little bit of a nut. I don't have any passion at all. <laughs> no, this is why you're here. You're here to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. You wear a lot of hats. We've mentioned author, speaker, former gymnast, former coach. You have uh, Zen Tiger Mind that you're doing. Is there anything that you want people to know about that? Anything that you want to plug? Anything that you're working on? And that's kind of a, a broad question, but <laughs> go ahead. The floor is yours. <laughs> I love you guys. You're great. I want to hang out with you and, you know, drink hot tea or something. Yeah. Um, it's next year. We're doing it. Yeah. You can spike my tea. Um, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, uh, what do I want to plug? Well, first of all, uh, thank you for mentioning Zen Tiger Mind. Uh, last year, I launched this new business and, uh, you know, I, I was on a mission and this is, you know, again, trickling down from, you know, my parents, anything is possible. And Greg Marsden, you know, you had to work for it. And my sports psychologist, you won, right? I had this mission to launch this company of equipment uh, and products that helps to facilitate mental exercises in the gym and at home. So uh, Zen Tiger Mind, our tagline is just breathe, all the power is inside you. And uh, these are, we, our primary product is called the Mental Power Station. And uh, it is four small yoga mats with mental exercises on the mat. So you have the words to repeat and each mat has a theme and each mat, their theme has an animal. And so Zen Tiger Mind is the name of the company. The first mat is the foundation and that's Zen Tiger, Zen. And as you know, the word Zen is to get very calm, right? To be in flow with, uh, you know, universal life force, right? <laughs> um, but it is to get peaceful. And so uh, it's breathe and relax. And it has these steps. And I actually just posted something uh, on Zen. Uh, you can go to at Zen Tiger Mind on Instagram and Facebook. And we have zentigermind.com. And you can see our mental power station. But there's breathe and relax. The second one is Aura, the orangutan. And that's positive self-talk. And it has all these phrases that the kids and the coaches can repeat to themselves. And the third one is visualize. And that's Athena, uh, the owl. And that teaches you how to visualize uh, in slow motion, moment by moment. And then the fourth one ah, is conquer uh, nerves, fear, and mental blocks. And that's with Oz, the orca. And that gives you steps of how to overcome your fears and mental blocks. So uh, these four are a collective group of small, again, mats. And you can put them on the wall. That's the thing is that in gyms from wall to wall, there's mats and equipment. So um, the floor is covered. 
So they're multifunctional. You can have them Velcroed to the wall with the banner, Mental Power Station, or you can put them on the floor. You can use them as groups or individuals and do them in, do the exercise in between turns. We have had a lot of wonderful success. We did market testing in gyms and the gyms just love them. They all purchased uh, the Mental Power Station and we've got we, I was at Congress last year in Tampa and we sold a bunch. And uh, so that's going really, really well. Super excited about that. That's okay. awesome. Is there anything else you mentioned Congress, obviously, is there anything else that you're working on that you want people to know? Well, you guys can just uh, follow me on uh, my Instagram on, on there the most uh, at Mitzel underscore coach. And I'm going to start next week, actually, um, I'm going to do sprinkled through May, June and July. I'm going to do free uh, 20 to 30 minute mental exercise sessions on Zoom. So you just send me a message and I'll send you the link. And I might do IG Live. I don't know. I, I, I like doing either or both. Um, and that's uh, for anybody, athletes, gymnasts, uh, parents, coaches. I'm going to do Wednesday, May 3rd at 12 o'clock uh, Pacific time because I'm in California. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and then Saturday, May 13th at 3 o'clock Pacific time. And I'm going to keep doing them through the summer. Uh, and then I'm doing this uh, these clinics with Yuka Segura. And we have a guest teacher. I might get more guest uh, teachers or coaches. Uh, Teresa Kulikowski Gillespie. She was an alternate uh, for the Olympic team. Oh, Teresa, I should remember it. It might have been uh, 2000 or it might have been 1996, actually, because I think she was with Amanda Borden and them. And so she's going to she's a certified in meditation and mindfulness. And she's a cert, uh, she's a physician assistant and just a wonderful human being. And so she's going to join us. So those are the main things. And I have my two books. You can go to lisamitzel.com and find my books uh, for mental training and for parents and coaches. And I just feel really lucky to be here. Well, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us. I think you're so incredible. You're so valuable to the gymnastics community. So thank you for everything that you do. Yes. You're amazing. Well, Ashley and Brittany, it's just been a pleasure. And uh, you guys are doing so, such important work and Thank you so much for bringing to light, you know, the, the mental side of things and the emotional side and supporting these athletes and supporting the coaches and yeah. parents. We, we need to be here for everybody. So I love all people. I'm a people lover. <laughs> <laughs> do you go to a lot of college meets throughout the year? I know we met you at NCAAs, but do you go to Utah meets? Do you keep up with the team? Uh, well, I'm in Northern California, so whenever they do come to either Cal, I've been to several meets at Cal when they're there, uh, or Stanford, I'm definitely there. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I live like 30 minutes from Stanford and about oh. 25 minutes from Cal. So yeah, I do go to the meets whenever I can. And I'm in San Jose is right down the road. Nice. So you're like in the perfect location. <laughs> perfect location. Yeah, everybody... Anybody want to come to California and hang out with me? I told Grace McCallum and Jaden Rucker after the meet, I said, uh, Grace wants, hi, Grace. Hi, Jaden. Grace wants to go into sports psychology and Jaden thinks she wants to be a coach. I hope I'm not revealing anything. I, I think they've said that out loud. 
And uh, I said, yeah, come hang out with me in California. We'll talk coaching. We'll talk sports psychology, you know, and, and we'll just have a good time. So anybody else, you can come and join us. <laughs> we'll definitely have to find a time. I guess the next meet that we go to, where we're both together. Um, we'll have to find a time to like actually sit down and, and talk with you. Because I think we, we were with Brenner, Abby Brenner, when you came in. <laughs> yeah, I saw you guys. I love her. Yes, Abby. <laughs> Love, I love all those girls, Abby, Abby, Miley, Jaden, uh, the whole gang, you know, Utah Gymnastics, you have my heart. <laughs> yeah, let's hang out. Let's hang out. Yeah. I'll come again. I'll, I'll come wherever you are. <laughs> all right. We live in Ann Arbor. So we uh, we're 10 minutes away from the University of Michigan. Well, and I think I told you, maybe I didn't, that um, they had me up there. And I think it, it was before COVID. So uh, Bev and Scott, and they had me come up and I did um, a couple days with the team and, and I just loved the energy. I love their gym and the facility. Yeah. But the whole Ann Arbor area and community is really, really beautiful and fun. And I would, yeah, twist my arm. Ouch, ouch. Okay, I'll come. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll look forward to it. That does it for this week's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And of course, we want to thank Lisa again for taking the time to come on our show. She is so valuable to the gymnastics community and the work that she's doing is so, so necessary. So please, if you're an athlete or the parent of an athlete, make sure you check out Lisa's website, which we have linked in the show notes down below. We also have a link to Zen Tiger Mind, her business, so you can check out the work that she is doing over there. We'd also like to take a moment to thank our Gold Level Patreon supporters for making this show possible. So a Big thank you to Amy M, Emily B, Kathleen R, Lucy S, Becca S, DFP, Blake B, Cookie Master, Faith M, Kristen R, Lori S, Sabrina M, Amy C, Erica S, Milan W, M, Derek H, Abby M, Martin, and Jasmine C. Thank you all so, so much for continuing to support our show. And if you're interested in becoming a Patreon supporter, we always have a link in the show notes down below to how you can join. We'll be back next week with another interview, which we're very excited about. If you are a Gold Level Patreon supporter, make sure you check the app because we announced our next two guests on there and we're still accepting questions. So go check that out. Ask a question if you have one. And we can't wait for you guys to hear the next couple of interviews that we have coming out because they're good ones. We hope you guys have an awesome week. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.